through her popular Netflix shows and witty use of social media, Sofia Nino de Rivera has established herself as Mexico's leading millennial comedian. She's pioneered stand-up comedy here, made Mexico's robotic president laugh, and even gone behind bars to support female inmates in notoriously dangerous prisons. These experiences have convinced her that Mexico must change fast. My name is Stephen Woodman. And I'm Duncan Tucker. You're listening to Viva Mexico, a podcast from Guadalajara offering news and views in the age of Trump. This month we'll be speaking to Sofia Nino de Rivera, and as always we'll be discussing what Donald Trump's been doing to antagonise Mexico. We asked Sofia how stand-up comedy is beginning to take off in Mexico. Comedy in Mexico has been, everything has been, or TV, or theatre, but it's all slapstick, or it's uh, albur, is what we call it in, in Mexico, which is like kind of like a second, like a different meaning when you say something and you mean something else and it's mm-hmm. sexual. And that's what comedy has been like in Mexico for years. And nobody really wanted to change it. And I think the boom in the internet, like eight years ago, more or less, opened up a lot of things that we didn't know about. I mean, I knew about stand-up a lot when I was young because I had kind of like an American school, but but people didn't really know about stand-up. And when the internet boomed, we start we could see on YouTube videos stand-up, and we could see, I, I went to New York and saw it live, and that kind of started to come into Mexico. And I decided that I wanted to do that kind of comedy because I was I didn't like the comedy in Mexico. It's not mm-hmm. my style. So I said, what? Why don't I do the style that I want to see? And everybody told me I was crazy because nobody really knows stand up and nobody's going to understand it and it doesn't exist in Mexico. And I said, well, if it doesn't exist, you don't know if it doesn't work. So I started doing it. Yeah. And it worked a lot and very fast. In eight years, it's grown exponentially, and it's amazing. You've given TED Talks, you've worked with some major companies like uh, Comedy Central and Netflix, and you've represented several big brands in Mexico. In your experience, what are some of the biggest challenges that you've faced in the entertainment industry? Uh, when I was starting, I didn't have really a connection with any of the, of the big television networks, so I couldn't be noticed other than by the internet, by my social media. So that was the first thing that I think I... I got bumped into like you can't be anybody here if you don't don't go on television. But I didn't want to because I didn't like the the content that was in television and Mexican television. So that was the first bump. And then when YouTube and Netflix and all of that started to happen, then that was a boom. That was that like the the television the big television networks got pretty scared because they were like, okay, they don't need us anymore. So now what are we gonna do? So that was the first time I started to struggle. And then the second time, everybody asks me if I, if, if being a woman in comedy in Mexico is hard, or if, if it's a something that I struggled with, and I find it the opposite, because as a woman, I can say a lot of other things that men can't say, and nobody can get mad at me, so that's good. And also, um, when I start my comedy, everybody forgets that I'm a woman and starts to think that I'm a comedian. Because I don't talk about everything about that, that women talk about in comedy, like my period and uh-huh. every, everybody I had sex with. And I don't really like my comedy to be that way. So I've, I've tried that my comedy be as universal as it can be and as gender-free as it can be. So those are the two things that I think 
I bumped into, but were not really a problem, but just something that I had to realize that was going to happen or that started to happen. And that's it. Sophia's recently begun working in Mexican prisons. We asked her how she got involved in this issue. My cousin that I I didn't meet her till like two years ago and a year ago because we didn't really grow up together. She's like my fifth cousin or something like that. So I met her and I knew she was working for something in prison, but I didn't really know what. And she called me and she said, "We need uh, to do a show so we can raise funds for Reinserta, a stand-up show. Would you help us?" And I was like, "Yeah, of course." But I think I would love to do something else and not just raise money. So I told her we should do a stand-up workshop in jail with women. Because I think stand-up is really cathartic and it helps you. It's like a, it's a psychological tool and it has helped me do a lot of catharsis with a lot of things in my life. And I think the women in prison don't have a lot of tools to handle a lot of emotional things. And I think stand-up would be, is something that could help them. So we did that and we're still rolling the documentary and it has been very difficult in a lot of senses with like just going into prison and and realizing that their world is a complete different world from our world. Time doesn't doesn't exist there. They don't really it's it's the biggest prison in Latin America. It's a, it's like like 1800 people there. So they have a lot of workshops, they have a lot of things that they can do, but they don't really want to. And women's prison, women in prison are more depressed than men in prison because they're more lonely. People don't go and see them. And um, they, there's a low education rate over there. And it's very hard to show them stand up, but it's been so interesting to learn about them, to learn their story, to, to watch them try, to watch them leave to watch them come back and it's been amazing and we're gonna edit this documentary and probably I don't know if we're gonna go to another prison and make another one and then and then both of them make it into a big one I have no idea what we're gonna do with it but right now it's been amazing it's been an amazing experience have you found that humor is kind of a big part of their lives for these these inmates or is it a kind of new tool that they're beginning to, to use? I think it's a tool that they use, but they don't use very publicly. They use it with their friends, or they use it with each other, or friends or somebody that comes inside the prison and visits them, but it's not it's not something that they know they can use very publicly. So right now, the things that they, they get to say on camera, like to criticize the authorities, to criticize the cops in there, they don't really get to say them in prison. They just told me a story where this girl uh, mocked a cop that was talking weirdly and she's now in the jail inside the jail because they can't do that so but they can do it with me. So it's very I think it's a tool that they didn't know they had such uh, free freedom to use. But I think a prison uh, it should work as a place where people can can change and they can go outside and not be the same person that, they, that brought them in there. So for Mexico, it's like there, there's the, I don't know how you say it in English, but when people, people come back like 70% of the time, which is huge. So I think Mexico would benefit if people inside a prison could really rehabilitate and go outside and not do drugs and not, and not be killers and not be whatever. To live in a society where second chances are the priority 
it changes the whole perspective of everything. The things that happen inside the prison happen outside a hundred times worse. The prison is just a little Mexico. And every time I go in there, I'm like, this country has a lot to change. And it has to change fast. Duncan, across the Americas, prison overcrowding and violence is a major problem. How bad is the situation in Mexico? It's uh, pretty severe. It's, it's quite common for people to escape prisons. You get a lot of prison riots. Um, in July, there were 28 inmates killed in uh, prison in Acapulco when a, a fight broke out between two rival gangs and four of the prisoners were decapitated. So that just shows some of the extreme levels of violence that you see in Mexican prisons. And there was actually a Mexican government survey of prisoners that was recently released. And it showed that about half of inmates share their cells with uh, six or more prisoners. And um, nearly a third feel unsafe in prison. And one in five feel unsafe in their own prison cells. So it's not somewhere where you can really rehabilitate people because it's just a a kind of den of of crime and corruption in itself. So it's not really serving the purpose that it's meant to in, in Mexican society. Last year, Sofia had the opportunity to meet Mexican President Enrique Peña Nieto. I asked her if that changed her perception of him at all. It was very weird because I I had this negative perception as the whole country has. Then I met him and I realized he's a very charismatic guy and I understood why he was where he is. But then I realized also that I didn't really respect him as president. I just, it's kind of like the guy that you think it's very cool to hang out with at a party because he's fun, but you would never trust him with any of your money. So um, I, I just didn't respect him in another way. It did change my perception, but it just enlightened me that, yeah, we don't have a great president and he's just there as a mannequin. That's what I thought about him when I, when I met him, which is very sad. And when I did a YouTube video and it went viral and it, and it helped also my career, I said in the end of the video, I don't want to live in a country where I don't want to meet my president. I'm not honored to meet my president. And I think that's how everybody feels. And that's what I felt when I met him. And if you had a similar opportunity to meet Donald Trump, what would you say to him? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think it would be very weird because everybody hates him. But I, at the moment that you are face-to-face with him. That, that's what happened with, with Peña Nieto also. Everybody told me, you should have killed him, you should have said something worse, you should have... But when you're there, in the end, it, he is a president. And Donald Trump is a president of the United States. You, you just can't go face him and slap him, mm. even if you want to. But I think what I would say to him is just step down. Just, just quit. So, Steve, obviously you spoke to former Mexican president uh, Vicente Fox last month. Can you relate to what she's saying there about meeting presidents or former presidents? Yes, it was quite a surreal experience to be in front of someone who you've read so much about and who held such an important post in the country. And obviously there's a kind of sense that you don't necessarily agree with what they're saying, but you're not going to, you know, just shout corrupt you're corrupt at them you're kind of on a human level it's a very surreal experience because um, fox was very kind of polite and respectful with us wasn't he yeah you can't really just go and shout in his face can you it's not a very effective interview <laughs> tactic well you might be tempted if you were interviewing donald trump so speaking of donald trump what is the latest from the white house well he's been sending out a few tweets to antagonize mexico as as per usual um he came up with a couple last week 
One said, uh, with Mexico being one of the highest crime nations in the world, we must have the wall in capitals. Mexico will pay through it through reimbursement slash other. Then he followed that up with, we are in the NAFTA, worst trade deal ever made, renegotiation process with Mexico and Canada. Both being very difficult, may have to terminate, question mark. And with the first tweet, he's quoting or he's referencing a study that was flawed and that has now been completely discredited, isn't he? Yeah, there was some suggestion that Mexico was the most... Uh, the second most, I think. Second most violent country in the world, yeah. But uh, I don't think that was taking into account quite a lot of other particularly violent countries. It was a very... Um, it had a to- totally flawed methodology. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, yeah, the Mexican government responded to that by saying they won't negotiate via social media. And then they offered to send aid to support those affected by the floods in Houston, just like they did after Hurricane Katrina, when Mexico sent a lot of troops to provide uh, humanitarian relief. The Texas governor actually said that he'd accepted the offer, but Trump has just completely refused to acknowledge it. Um, I think it's quite good for the Mexican government. I think that was a, a smart response. And it was it was nice to see them not stooping to Trump's level and, and actually putting people's lives uh, above political disputes. I'm not sure Trump would be so generous if the, the situation were reversed. Trump also uh, annoyed a lot of Latinos in general this week by uh, pardoning Sheriff Arpaio. Steve, why, why is he such a controversial figure? Well, Sheriff Arpaio was a sheriff in Arizona who was convicted of failing to obey a judge's order for alleged racial profiling, targeting Latinos in particular. Um, but there's a lot more behind behind it than that. Arpaio once considered being an undocumented immigrant a minor crime, but he really focused on immigration because it was getting him a lot of media coverage and donations. So basically, he made himself the centre of this story and he went for kind of a lot of choreographed immigration sweeps, knowing that it was making him look good. Uh, Does that remind you of anyone, Duncan? It does sound a little bit like the current president, doesn't it? Well, the the Phoenix New Times, the, the Arizona newspaper, they sent out a really interesting tweet saying that they'd been covering Joe Arpaio for more than 20 years and his a few things that you should know about him. Controversially, he ran a jail that he described as a concentration camp and prisoners there died at an alarming rate, often without any explanation. And he arrested reporters for covering him. Also during this time, there were hundreds of sex abuse cases in Arizona which were ignored. And one time as well, he staged an assassination attempt against himself... As you do. As you do. <laughs> By 2015, his fondness for racial, racial profiling had cost the county more than $45 million. And he was responsible for a series of fiascos, including one raid where deputies set a puppy on fire. That's quite a resume, isn't it? That almost makes Trump look like a nice guy in comparison. What I found was it um, kind of most interesting, though, was I had assumed that he was a man led by a kind of perverse ideology. But it seems that he was basically just an opportunist who was riding this wave of attention and trying to attract donations. Um, you can certainly see why Trump might sympathise with him, can't you? Because it's a similar kind of strategy. Like I think similar syndrome. Yeah, he's just doing whatever, whatever's going to make him popular and trying to use a uh, Latino population as his scapegoat, really. 
So that's all this month from the Viva Mexico podcast. If you enjoyed this show, you can support us by subscribing to our pages on iTunes and SoundCloud. You can also check out our YouTube channel to watch the full video of our uh, interview with Sofia Nino de Rivera. And if you have any comments or questions, feel free to message us on Facebook or Twitter, where you can find us at Viva Mex Podcast. Mm-hmm.